Second Peter. Turn your Bibles to Second Peter. We're going to engage in the word today. If those for those of you who don't know, every morning, every weekday morning from 8 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., we spend time in the reading of the word. Um, what better way to start the day than to have your spiritual breakfast, um, to eat the word and spend time to dine in the word. And so that's what we do every weekday from 8 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. And really, it's a time for us to engage in the word, to read it, just to read it through, to read it through. And we've done this now for 11 weeks. Well, this will be the 11th week. We've gone from Matthew and now we are in Second Peter. We're actually about to we're we're getting ready to close out the New Testament. And this is really to show you and it's a testament to you that if you just discipline yourself for half a Netflix episode every morning, you can get through a lot of scripture. That's really the purpose for why we do this is to engage you in the reading of scripture. The second part of this is to, to motivate you to read the scriptures from a meditational posture. That is to read the scriptures, to seek to hear from God as you read the scriptures. It's a little bit different than Bible study, which has its place as well. Uh, where in Bible study, you're here to understand and to um, gain an intellectual understanding of scripture. Whereas when you read from a meditational posture, you're, 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 you're posturing yourself in a way so as to receive the word um, as food, to hear from God concerning what God has to say to you today and in this moment. So what you guys are uh, privy to and what you've been given the privilege to, to participate and partake in is how I go about often reading the scriptures in the morning when I read from a meditational posture. It is um, the most powerful activity for spiritual growth um, is to prayerfully ask three questions. And these qu three questions are first, what is God revealing concerning himself? What is God saying or revealing concerning himself? The second question is what is God uh, revealing concerning people? And the third question is what is God revealing concerning me? Um, and for you, as you're reading, prayerfully ask, what is God revealing concerning you? So that's what we want to engage in. And since I'm not afforded much time today, um, I thought I, I thought I had some more time. But what I will do is I'll devote a time of uh, prayer and intercession and um, impartation with you all uh, on Thursday. So after our reading, we'll spend a little bit more time. I don't have, you know, the liberality that I that I usually have in the previous weeks, but I do want to spend a little bit more time uh, in prayer with you guys. Um, so I'm not afforded that, but today I want to stay disciplined in uh, the reading of the word. So with that being said, um, I know I can't see any of you guys, but I'm sure and I'm confident that you guys can see me. And so we're going to continue to read. Hopefully, maybe the comments start showing up again. Right now, it says zero viewers, and I don't see any comments. But then when I click the zero viewers, I see a whole bunch of you here. So I see, see, I can click there and I can see you guys. I can see you, Liz, Tracy, Gloria, Landy. So anyway, um, you know, we'll, 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 Sherry, good to see you as well. So I see all of you, but I can't see you in the comments, but that's all right. We, we're, we're going to still engage um, in the reading of the word, and then we'll spend some time in prayerful meditation. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would uh, speak to us. But we pray right now that you would remove uh, distractions, that you would um, allow us, Lord God, to quiet our spirit. 
Um, Lord, in this time that we would quiet our spirit, that we may hear from you today. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would um, encourage us in your word, convict us in your word, reveal to us your will, your desire, your heart today in this word that we read as we engage in this visit us, meet us, Lord. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Second Peter chapter one. Let us read. Speak to us today, Lord. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as the divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Christ showed me. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word confirmed. Mm. which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Ooh. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who counted pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have, a, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and have gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, Restrain the madness of the prophet. Wow. These are wells without water. Clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them. According to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit 
and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Chapter 3 Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But behold, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which are untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. And they do also the rest of scripture. Therefore, you, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace of the in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. Usually, if we're doing a read and rant, I would go on to First John and continue to read. First of all, I'm not afforded uh, the time to actually um, read further because I have to leave in a few minutes. But what I want to do in this time as we prayerfully hear this word is to ask the question, what is the Lord saying to us today? Thank you.
What is the Lord speaking into us today? I come with no preparation, to be honest with you. When I come and I read uh, and I do the read and rant with you guys, I have nothing prepared, nothing prepared at all. I just wait to hear what God has to say concerning himself, what he has to say concerning people, what he has to say concerning me. So some of it may sound a little bit selfish as I reflect on this, and some of it should be edifying to you. Some of it, a lot of it is edifying to me because as I'm reading this, God is convicting me of things that I have to be attentive to, that I have to be attuned to. Just to give context here, Peter is, uh, Peter who writes this letter, right? We, We talked about this before, this guy who's rough around the edges, who uh, is a fisherman from the lower rungs of society, unrefined, and yet has been called by God to minister his gospel. Peter has preached the gospel and he's moved with power. Peter preached the first revival sermon. From what we see, the first recorded revival sermon came from Peter in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter iterates uh, Joel chapter two and and uh, he talks about the spirit being poured out on all flesh that that the sons and the daughters will prophesy, right? We're sending a reminder to Joel that old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. And, and, and Peter, what he's pointing to when he's pointing to the book of Joel, um, and I preached on this actually at the beginning of this year, that when he's pointing to the book of Joel, he's alluding to the fact that the church of God is akin to the army that Joel had prophesied about in Joel chapter two, that we're less of this community of people who are kumbayaing with each other, but that we should be postured as a people together in battle posture, postured for battle. The reason why I say this is because often what happens is that when we get so about kumbayaing with each other, and just being cool with each other and creating a cool atmosphere and a cool event and a cool place and a cool, you know, vibe. And there's nothing wrong with that. People have said that even when we have our events, our, our events are vibes. There's a vibe to it. But we didn't come for a vibe. And the reason why I say that, and I know this is going to sound a little tough at first because um, for those who may have come from those contexts, is we're not really thinking into the consequence of being so comfortable with where you are that you allow the enemy to creep into your church. You see, we face an enemy. That's the part that we don't talk about enough. Like we we talk a lot about, you know, grace and how um, Jesus is here to save us and, and how he loves us so much and, and that he cares for us and, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, and we talk about the profundity of grace that he gives grace for grace and that we've been forgiven of our sins and that there's no shame and no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. We talk about all these things like we we iterate these things over and over again, but we forget something. We forget that we're in a battle. We get so comfortable relishing the grace of God that we don't move in the grace of God. Not realizing that even though God is doing a work in us, 
He wants to do a work through us. And God is looking to undergird us with the power of grace to be able to fight the battles that the enemy is coming against us with. We forget that there's an enemy against the church. Notice something. Okay, I'm starting to rant now. Notice something in the scripture that the first time we see the word church is when Jesus iterates that to Peter in Caesarea Philippi. And he says to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why would Jesus say that? He didn't say upon this rock, I will build my church and we will kumbaya together. I wish I could see your comments. I really, I really do. All I see is zero viewers, but I'm assuming you guys are watching. I'm assuming you guys are attending what I'm talking about here because this is this is important, fam. Is he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus was immediately inferring that the church has an enemy, will have an enemy. And he affirms that the enemy will not prevail, but he does also impl- but it does also imply that there is an enemy. And often what happens is we become so about each other and so about what we're doing, kumbayaing with each other. And, you know, let's just create a nice place where we all love one another and care for one another. And we're just going to all, we're just going to love on each other. And it's going to be just this awesome thing that we do together that we forget that there's an enemy that's seeking to kill and to destroy the church. And he's coming not in a way that we would expect. Oh no, he's strategic, right? We saw that. He's in Ephesians, he says that we'd be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's talking about the church being able to stand against the wiles, the strategic influence of the devil. I know people don't like to talk about this. We love to just talk about grace and love and hope and all these things and all that's good. Don't get it twisted. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But we forget that there's an enemy. We forget that there's an enemy and that enemy is coming to destroy. That enemy is coming to erode your faith. That enemy is coming to erode your passion. That enemy is coming to erode the grace of God that comes through the faith that you have in him. And if he can restrict your faith, then he can restrict the grace. And so now we get into a posture where we're so about what's happening in the house that we don't see the things that are eroding inside of the house because we don't realize that there's an enemy coming in to destroy, that there's an enemy coming in and that enemy takes on many forms. This is a word of conviction for me because often we don't prep people to think about the spiritual battle that exists. There is a spiritual battle. Ah, but the thing is, is that in Christ, we already won. So in the end of the day, we already win the battle. But the problem is, is that when we are in ignorance and we don't operate in the awareness, knowing who we are, we allow the enemy to influence the church. And the travesty is, is that when we do not stay vigilant 
we allow the devil to creep in and to erode. He's not coming in with bombs. The, 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 the devil's smarter than that. He's not coming in because he's come in with that. And I have to say this, that ugh, this is just a word. I'm just stay with me here because this is good for your marriage. This is good for your church, whatever church you go to, whatever church you're a part of. And if you're not a part of a church, I pray that you become a part of one because it is important for your growth. But this is a word for you. Obvious oppression and attack almost always leads to growth. Always. The worst thing that can happen to the church is to create a semblance that there is no oppression and that there is no enemy. No, the obvious oppression, oh, that's that's good for the church because the scriptures tell us what happened to the people of God in Exodus, that the more that they were afflicted in Exodus chapter one, it says that the more that they were afflicted, the more they grew. In the early church, they dealt with physical oppression physical affliction. We talked about this. First Peter was really addressing that. First Peter was addressing the physical affliction, the people getting their heads cut off, the people being burned, the people um, um, being abused, the people who were being economically oppressed, the people who were being squeezed. And yet the more that the church was being persecuted and oppressed and afflicted, the more the church grew. You see, obvious affliction almost always leads to growth. Almost always leads to growth. Ah, but it's the spies in the body. It's the affliction and the oppression, the persecution and the attack that we do not see. That's what's dangerous. Peter encourages the church about persevering in the midst of that kind of oppression. But the oppression that we do not see, that's the one that's scary. Ah, the oppression that isn't physical or economic, the oppression that doesn't put you in jail because you're professing faith in Jesus Christ. That oppression, that oppression leads to growth. And it has me reflecting and thinking if you'd allow me to rant, and I'm assuming you guys are listening. It makes me think, if the church would be oppressed again in America, maybe the church would grow again. And there's a part of me that would like to believe that the reason why the church in America isn't growing is because the church isn't facing obvious oppression. You know, the one that, that comes at you, the one where the government is coming against you, the one where people are um, oppressing you, the one where you lose jobs because of your faith, the one where, where, where you lose family members because of your faith, the one where I think that kind of oppression, if the church had it, it would probably grow. I'm not saying we're seeking after that kind of oppression, but if we had that kind of oppression, the church would probably grow. And I think the reason why the church is dying in America today, and this is the word, 
that the Lord is convicting me of as I'm reading this. The reason why our church may be dying today is because we don't have the obvious explicit oppression. What we now have is the oppression that we cannot see. The oppression that lurks in the shadows. The enemy now attacking from the inside because the church isn't postured for battle anymore. You know, if the if the church was physically oppressed, it would be spiritually aware. And I'm not saying the church needs to be physically oppressed to be spiritually aware. But I'm sure if the church was physically oppressed, it would be spiritually aware. And out of that spiritual awareness, the church would be sensitive to the things that are creeping into the body of Christ. Oh, but because we're comfortable today, we allow things to creep in. Because we're comfortable today, we allow the enemy to creep in. Oh, the enemy's strategic. We talk about these wiles of the devil. This is the strategy of the devil. And Peter is writing this letter to point to some of the things that creep into the body that are actually killing the body. The the spiritual cancer in the body that's killing the body. Oh, this is going to get tough. This is going to get tough. Stay with me because this is going to get a little tough. But could our church be suffering what Peter is prophesying here? That we're veering away from the gospel in part because we're allowing worldly thinking to creep into the church. He's saying, don't forget the prophecy that came because the prophecy that came never came by the will of man, but by holy men who spoke. This is the, um, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. But, but holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Then in the next chapter, he says, he speaks to them and says to them, beware of destructive doctrines. Beware of deceptive words. Beware of the false teachers. <laughs> I always say this. If the angels, and, and Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 2, let this be a word of conviction. If the angels could be tempted by a lesser than God, then who are we to think when they were in the very presence of God, the very manifest presence of God, in the in the court of God, in the council of God, in the family of God, that if the angels, knowing God and all his power, if the angels can be seduced by the lies of the enemy, if the angels can be seduced 
by the ruse of the devil, then who are we to think that we cannot be seduced by the devil today, by the lies that the enemy speaks today? Because the enemy deceives. There's a, there's a difference between deception and a lie. Let me make sure I, I teach that for a second. There's a difference between deception and a lie. Often what happens is, is that we look for lies. When What we should be looking for is deception. I'm ranting, fam. I know, I'm sure you guys are watching because I can't see any comments. But I hope you're catching what I'm saying here. There's a difference, family, between a lie and deception. We sometimes think that a lie is, you know, a deception is a lie. That's someone lying to you. No, a deception is a truth. It's actually truth that is being packaged for a purpose other than the glory of God. Let that soak in for a second. A deception is actually a truth that points and draws you away from the righteousness of God. Deceptions are rarely ever lies. <laughs> Sometimes and often are half truths. Like for example, um, Kiara asked, uh, give an example. All right, let me give you an example. Let's speak about the first recorded deception. In Genesis chapter three, I'm all over the place. So stay with me here because I'm, I'm getting to my point. The scriptures tell us that the serpent in, in Genesis chapter three, verse one says that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord had made and said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil told her the truth there. The devil wasn't lying. Look again. He says, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's true. The day that she eats the fruit, her eyes will be opened and she will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's true. And when the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, he's not lying either because she did not die physically. <laughs> See, deception is truth by omission. So now she being deceived by the devil because the devil did not lie to her there. But now out of that truth, she disobeyed God. So for many of us, we hear things that sound true and we go, well, since this is true, then it must be all right. I mean, since this is true, then it must be okay. 
truth is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So truth that doesn't lead you to the Father is deception. So when people say, well, if you, um, you know, take, take relationships, for example, right? If you do X, Y, and Z, then you can keep him. Or if you do X, Y, and Z, then she will be happy and you can keep her. Well, while that might be true, that might be deception. Because was it about keeping him or keeping her? Or was it about the glory of Christ? And what happens is, stay with me, fam. I know this is unpopular, but I have to speak into it. What happens is, family, is we get tantalized by cultural truth. And we allow that cultural truth to point us to something other than the glory of Christ. And we superimpose scripture on it to make it sound real metacrational and meditational because it sounds really good. And in the end, that wisdom is demonic because while it isn't true, sorry, while it isn't a lie, it is still deception. And what Peter's speaking into is we have lost the ability to discern the spirits because our eyes are easily tickled by the things that we like to hear. So, full disclosure, um, I think my my most viral post right now is this relationship post. I think it has like over, I think it's at almost 1.5 million views. I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little crazy. It's tantalizing because they heard that clip and I didn't think that clip was going to blow up. I really didn't. But that relationship clip blew up. But I'm convinced that if people went back and watched that whole sermon, it would make some people really upset. Oh, they like the part where, you know, about the man and he's not going to marry somebody that he's cool with. He's not going to marry somebody that he likes. Oh, they, they, oh, that's true. That's facts. Just because I like you don't mean I'm going to marry you. That's facts. Cool. That's facts. And we like those facts. And you know, one day he woke up, he sat on my bed and all that's good. That's facts. But if you read the, if you heard the rest of the sermon, you would learn something about the purpose of relationship. Now, it was probably one of the most provocative sermons I've preached because I said some stuff in there that was, people would say borderline offensive. So much so that people were like, man, this guy's not about this. This guy, he's whatever, he's this, he's X, Y, and Z. But here's the reality. The reality is, is we get tickled by that. But the purpose of relationships isn't for you to get with a woman or to get with a man and to just glorify each other and be a power couple. Oh, we get tantalized by that clip because it feels good for me 
But if it doesn't point to the glory of Christ, it's deception. <laughs> and he speaks here to the false teachers. He says to the false teachers, beware. Oh, be careful. Be careful because you might be preaching. They're false teachers who are preaching into what the culture wants to hear, but not in what needs to be said. So they give some truth that makes people want to show up because, man, that's good. Relationship series, that's good. Money series, that's good. But then when it's the gospel, nobody's listening. Are y'all catching me? Oh, I'll draw you in, family. I'll draw you in. I'll draw you in because, yeah, great. I've got some wisdom and some insight on relationships. All that's good. But if you get all that wisdom and all that insight on life and miss out on Christ, it's deception. And ready for this? The devil is not concerned. He's not concerned. If the church is preaching a Jesus that doesn't lead you to salvation. Matter of fact, if you're if you're a pastor and all you're preaching is feel good messages that allow people to be focused on the things of this world and not seek anything beyond it, you're helping the devil. Because what you're doing is you're giving him just enough truth to keep them right where they are, but you're not giving them enough truth to draw them to the truth the way, the truth, the life. And here's the word of conviction. This is for me now. In verse 16 in 2 Peter chapter 2, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm ranting. I know this is sounds incohesive, but I'm getting to where the Lord is really attending to. But that's what you guys do. You guys listen to me rant anyway. So just listen to me rant, okay? But this is the word of conviction. In in Second uh, Peter, in Second Peter two verse sixteen, it says, "But he was rebuked, talking about Balaam, Balaam the son of Beor, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet." Ooh, can I stay here? Can I stay here for a second? Can I stay here for a second? <laughs> I might make a TikTok out of this. I don't have the time, but I might make a TikTok out of this. Just because God is using you doesn't mean you know God. Did you hear that? Just because I let that sink in because that's my conviction today. Just because God is using you, it doesn't mean that you know him. Did you hear me, family? Did you hear me, family? Just because God is using you, doesn't mean that you know God.
Balaam was a pagan prophet, a prophet of the devil. And yet in a moment, while he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey spoke to him with a voice and restrained his madness because God's grace will use a prophet who's not for him to speak the message of his gospel. Oh, he'll deliver people with someone's voice and yet that person that he used won't see the kingdom of heaven. Oh, this is going to get tough. Because here's what happens is we hear the voice of God through people and we give people too much credit. We hear the voice of God through men of God or women of God and we give them too much credit, not realizing they could be possessed by a demon. They could be, they could not even know God. And yet draw people to God and yet they themselves go to hell. And that's why sometimes I get confused when people get offended or they get hurt when they see pastors or preachers who they came to faith with. And this is for somebody. I, I hear somebody that needs to hear this, that I don't know what to, I don't even know how to see my own faith because the pastor who preached the gospel to me, I found out that he's X, Y, and Z. Well, I found out that she's X, Y, and Z and that he did this and that she did that. So now I'm questioning my own salvation because of what that pastor or what that prophet said to me. And now you're questioning your own salvation. Let me, let me liberate you for a moment. The pastor didn't bring you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit did. And the Holy Spirit used that person in that moment to bring you to Jesus. The pastor didn't bring you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit did. And so if the pastor brought you, yeah, if that pastor lets you down, you got to question your salvation. But that pastor is not Jesus. That pastor is not the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that did. And if it's the Holy Spirit that did, then it doesn't matter the life that he lived. If he's not living a life for Christ, walk away from him, but hold on to your salvation. If he's not living the life that he should be living in Christ, walk and she's not living it, walk away from her. But don't walk away from Jesus because they were never Jesus. They were never Jesus. Because if God can use a witch doctor to give the message of God to the people to liberate them, then God can use anyone. If God can use the devil, then God can use anyone. And I have to say this because we see it in scripture. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 28, Saul, who was called by God, did not know God. Saul was called by God, but did not know God. So much so that when he was tormented, he called a witch doctor in Matthew, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 28, called a witch doctor to conjure up the spirit of Samuel to receive a prophetic word. And the Lord spoke to the spirit that was conjured up. <laughs> 
and told Samuel, your kingdom is over. It's done. The Lord used a witch doctor. <laughs> to prophesy his word. And some people right now are getting really uneasy because they're going, what is he saying now? Like, are you a witch doctor, Pastor Isaac? What I'm saying to you is you don't follow me. I'm a man. You don't, you don't glorify me above my measure. In the same way, you don't glorify any prophet above his measure any pastor above his measure, any minister above his or her measure. You never, ever do that. And the hurt in our church today is we give men and women of God too much credit and too much power. And there are those of us right now that are healing from some of the things that the men and women of God that we trusted did. The beginning of your healing is to know that God, if God can use a witch doctor, then he can use that scumbag pastor. If God can use um, Balaam, who was a priest, a pagan priest, then God can use anybody. So the question is, will you choose to follow God or are you going to choose to follow a man or a woman? Are you following Christ Oh, are you following a man or a woman? Mm, they don't like it. They don't like it. <gasps> family, 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 family. This is my word of conviction. And this should be your word of conviction because even in this chat, We've got prophets here. We've got some pastors here. We've got some leaders here. Right here in this in this in this in this live right now attending with us. We have elders here. We have ministers of the gospel here. This is a word of conviction for you. Just because God is using you doesn't mean that you know him. And don't ever ever confuse or conflate being used by God as having a relationship with him. Wow, Patty. Wow, Patty. I pray that you're healed, that you be healed through that because I completely understand it. And even as I hear it, I'm, I'm, I'm so <laughs> just emotionally um, burdened by it because I know what that can do to somebody. I know what that can do to trust a man of God, to esteem him highly, to trust a woman of God and to esteem her highly and to trust them with your soul and, and your life to share with them some of the deep things about who you are, to give up of yourself for that person. I know. I know what that feels like. I know what that does and how much that can hurt. And it can cut so deep. It can cut so deep that you even question your own salvation. 
and ask yourself, was any of this real? Did, did any of this matter? Was any of this of any effect? Whew. I've seen it. I've seen people lose faith because of it. I've seen people so profoundly hurt by things that pastors and leaders have done to people in the church and to the church as a whole. That people say, you know what, forget this thing completely because I don't need it in my life. But here's a word of conviction for those of you who've been hurt by those pastors and those leaders. Ready? They're not Jesus. They never were. And just because God used them didn't mean that they had a relationship with them. Think of it this way. If God loved you so much. Let me run that back. Let me run that back. Just make sure you get it. You may have been church hurt. You may have been hurt by a pastor. You may have been hurt by a minister, by a leader, by someone who preached the gospel to you and you came to faith through them. And later on to find out that they weren't what they were talking about. They weren't real. And you experience a significant amount of pain by the abuse that they put or the neglect or the deception. And it affected your faith so much so that you nearly lost your faith. And for some of you, you did lose your faith. I want you to rethink it. I want you to change your perspective. Because that person that God used may not know God, but God loved you so much that he chose to reach you through somebody who didn't even know him. That God loved you so much that he brought his message of faith in the gospel through a person that didn't even know him. God reached you to somebody who was proximate to you and gave him a voice and a word by the power of his spirit to speak to you. That's how much God loves us. He will use the devil to get to us. He will use the devil to get to us. He will use Satan to get to us. He'll use a witch doctor. He'll use whatever to get to us. It doesn't say for us to go there and to seek after it. We walk away from that. We leave that person because you ain't it. You're not it. You need Jesus. Oh, we'll look at these ministers differently to realize that you need Jesus too. You need Jesus more than me probably. (laughs) We all need Jesus. Oh, but he'll find you. He'll find you in the deepest depths. Doesn't mean you go to a witch doctor to find God, but he'll meet you right where you are. And because you were there, Patty, the Lord loved you so much. And now in your season of healing, you're vigilant now. You know, the one thing that God has given to, and I love this, uh, and people who've been hurt, profoundly hurt by the church. Yes, Irene. (laughs) Yes, Irene. Um, people who've been hurt by the church, people who've been hurt by pastors or by the church. I'm talking about like real hurt. 
they've been given a gift. They've been the, they've been given the gift of experience, the gift of discernment, because now they see things that people can't see. They see context clues that they couldn't see before. They're able now to discern pastors and leaders and go, is that, mm, is he about that? Because if he ain't about that, I ain't about that. He's giving you now the ability to see something that a lot of people cannot see. That's the gift that the Lord has given you. And yet that's that's how the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory. The reason why it's not worthy to be compared to the glory is because now you can see and go, mm, nope, I've seen that before. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've, I've seen preachers like you before. I've seen pastors like you. Oh, I know that one. <laughs> oh, he gives you the gift of discernment. <laughs> That's right, Wed. Like he'll say, "Nah, that ain't it." <laughs> and yet, that's what he's warning the church of. I'm closing because I gotta go. He's warning the church that the real attack now is from within. It's the false prophets who are in the body, who people are following. Oh, they're following the personality. They love the things that they're saying because the things that they're saying fulfill the lusts of their flesh, but aren't edifying their spirit. Mm. And so now what he's saying to them, he's saying, you need to be steadfast. Oh, don't, don't worry about, I'm not worried about the, you know, I'm not worried about the church that's being um, oppressed and persecuted. In, in, in Egypt, I'm not worried about that church. You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about the church that's comfortable. You know, the church in America is too comfortable. The church in some places are too comfortable. And you wonder why those churches are growing. Right now, the church that is growing is a church that's being oppressed. Because they have discernment. They can see the things that are creeping in, yet we do not. We don't see the idols that we're bringing into the church. We don't see the stuff that we're celebrating that we should be bringing down. We don't see that we want relationships for our own gain and our own purpose. We don't see that everything we do is to fulfill our desire and our lust. We don't see it. And yet the Lord is saying, wake up. Wake up. To God be the glory. Um, I want to pray um, to close and I hope this was a blessing to you but I want to speak into this because this is the word as I was reading that was convicting me don't confuse being used by God by having a relationship with God there are some of you right now that are saying I think I'm okay because I serve at my church just because you serve at your church doesn't mean that you have a relationship with him. And there's some people right now that are saying, but I preach every Sunday. There's some ministers right now and some pastors right now that are in this chat. I just sense it. I see it right now. That there's some leaders right now in, in the church right now who are voices to those who are preaching the gospel, to those who are in need of the gospel. And many souls have come to Christ through you and yet the Lord is saying to you this morning, return back to your first love. Did you forget me? Don't be among those who many will cry, Lord, Lord, 
And yet the Lord will say, away from me, for I never knew you. God does not want your performance. He wants you. God is not measuring you by how many souls you brought to Jesus. He's measuring you by your being in relationship with him. God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants all of you. And the word that's convicting my spirit today is do not confuse or conflate being used by God with having a relationship with God. And for the church that sees people being used by God, do not confuse and conflate the people that you see that are being used by God as people that have a relationship with God. You must seek God for yourself. Seek my face. That's what the Lord says today. He says, seek my face. Seek my face. Father, I ask, Lord, as we engage today, throughout this day, Lord, I I pray, Lord, that you would convict us. Lord, realign us, Lord, Lord, not to popular voices and not to those, Lord God, who are articulate and can Lord, tickle our ears with things that we want to hear. But Lord, that we be attuned to you, seeking you, seeking your face, Father. I pray that, Lord, you will draw your people today as we have engaged in your word. Draw them, Lord God, to your presence. Lord, that they may seek you. Draw them to you, Heavenly Father. Lord, Give us the conviction to be able to speak these words. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Teach us, Lord, to seek your face. Lord, align us, Lord, to desire you, Father. Lord, be with the pastors, Lord, who are in this chat right now. The prophets who are in this chat right now. The evangelists and the apostles who are in this chat right now, who are in this live right now, Lord, who have not spent time with you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would cancel engagements and they would return back to their closet. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would cancel, Lord God, events, Lord God, that they would go back to your presence again. Father, I pray, Lord, that they would put things aside, Lord, and seek you, Lord, that they may pray and seek you again once more in the secret place, Father. I pray, Lord, that we would know you, that we would return back to your first love, that we would grow in your grace and in the knowledge of you. For you said here in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen.